It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Uh, I'm your host, Ben Carnes, and I'm uh, super excited about today's show. Uh, we've got some uh, amazing guests, and uh, we're going to be joined by the, uh, the minds behind some of the most popular and influential podcast projects uh, in the podcasting world. Uh, both recently have turned their attention to projects that have the U.S. Constitution ultimately thematically at heart. Uh, so we're joined by phone from New York by Jad Abumrat. Uh, are you there, Jad? Yes, I am. Hello. Hello. Uh, and Jad is likely best known as the founder and co-host of Radio Lab. I think that's probably safe to say, uh, which is na- nationally syndicated on, I think, 500 radio stations. And uh, one of the most popular podcasts, uh, just full stop, uh, 1.4 million listeners per week, I believe, about 5 million per month. And his new project is uh, Radio Lab's first spinoff, which is called More Perfect. And that will soon begin its second season. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Jad. Yeah, thank you for having me. I have to concede just from the outset that I'm I'm geeking out a little bit. I've listened to every Radio Lab episode, uh, some of them multiple times, so it's it's pretty exciting. I'm a big fan of uh, of your projects. Oh, well, thanks. And uh, our second guest uh, is here in studio with us. It's Lillian Cunningham of the Washington Post. Hi. And she is the host of the Presidential Podcast series, uh, which dedicated each of its 44 episodes to one American president. And uh, concluded with an episode just after the 2016 election on uh, on the election of Donald Trump and, and his story. And the series interviewed the likes of David McCullough, uh, Bob Woodward, and Pulitzer Prize winner James McPherson. So had some really amazing guests on there. And her new project is also uh, similarly themed. It's constitutional, and it's taking a, a deep dive into the stories and figures behind the drafting of the U.S. Constitution. And Lillian, thank you so much for, for being here with us in studio. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, Jad, I, I wanted to, to start with uh, with you, if possible. Um, just some some context, I guess, for anybody listening who isn't aware. Uh, like I mentioned, Radio Lab, millions and millions of listeners. I don't think there are that many podcasts that are spawning roadshows and mm-hmm. and tours. Um, it's a two time Peabody Award winner. Um, it, I guess just to start, because I guess that's sort of what led to more perfect being possible. What what do you attribute the success of Radio Lab too? Is it just the timing? Is it the resources behind it, the production quality or some magical combination of those elements? Yeah. I mean, the short answer is I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I can guess. I mean, I think it is maybe some of the things, uh, to whatever degree we are successful. I think the sound has a lot to do with it. I mean, we, we really try and make the sound of these episodes to be like kind of movie level production, mm-hmm. you know, so lots and lots of layers and, uh, cool music posts and things like that. So, I mean, hopefully when you just turn it on, it just sounds like something that you, that you want to sink into before you even really know what you're you're hearing. Uh, but, you know, we also, uh, this uh, we, we work really hard to tell su- stories that are super surprising and that make you really think differently about the world. So it could be the stories. It's also like uh, my co-host and I, Robert Krowich, 
Uh, we love to sort of argue and, and yell at each other, but in a loving way. And so maybe mm-hmm. it's the chemistry there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's maybe all of the above, but um, I, I'm just really thankful that there's, there are people out there that want to hear it. And I know you, you had a uh, just some basic Wikipedia reading. You have a, a background in, in music composition, which I think has come out in, in some of the episodes as well. Uh, are, to what extent are you involved in that audio production element? Are, are you still um, doing a lot of the production behind just precisely how it sounds? Or at this point, now that it's grown, have you sort of developed a team that, that handles that? You know, I mean, it's, it started as a one-man band where really it was just me doing everything. And... and, uh, and I started as a musician, so for me, the fun part, the part that got me up in the morning was after you found the story, after you've done the interviews, after you've laid it all out into like your Pro Tools or some digital audio mm-hmm. thing, uh, it was then putting all the sounds next to each other and like kind of making the textures and the layers. That was the fun part for me. But as the show has grown, um, it is no longer um, feasible or healthy for me to be able to mm-hmm. be involved at that, on that, that level of detail. So I do have an amazing team right now. Um, we have, you know, I think six or seven core producers wow. who are, um, you know, doing all aspects of it, reporting, finding the stories. But they're also, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, you know, we, we hire journalists to help us make the show, but in the course of them making the show, uh, they start making the music. It, I just see I see that happening over and over again. They'll start composing themselves as they're as they're making the story, because that's kind of just the nature of the of the beast of the work that we do. So right now I have a lot of people actually who are helping me make the sound and and uh, and uh, I've got a, I've got one composer uh, who uh, is a producer as well, and he he writes a lot of the music. I still do some on occasion, but mostly what I do now is just. Um, cheerlead you know all right well i I guess ultimately what you're here to to talk about today is is more perfect and which is the it's touted as the first official radio lab spinoff um radio lab was uh is heavy on uh, on science sort of pop science i think is it's safe to say um uh, how did you end up settling on of all things the the topic of supreme court cases as as your next venture you know, it was a we, there was a moment in in 2012, 2013-ish where, uh, you know, you say pop science. We were we were doing a lot of sort of like that that intersection between mm-hmm. philosophy and science and storytelling. We were sort of like exploring that zone, yep. and I just wanted to try something new. And so I I asked the the whole team at that point to just I mean just for almost for kicks, not really knowing what I was asking. I said, go look at the Supreme Court docket. And tell me if you see anything interesting there. And one of our producers at the time, Tim Howard, came back with a story of, uh, called about a case called Adoptive Couple v. Baby Girl, which at the mm-hmm. time it was a simple, seemingly simple custody battle. You had a husband and a wife, uh, or not, no, I'm sorry, that's not right. You had a, a couple and a, and, a, and, a, and a biological dad on the other side fighting over the custody of a two-year-old girl. And this is the kind of case that you would read about and you know you've he- you've heard a thousand times, but this particular case, for really complicated and fascinating reasons, gets all wrapped up in like questions of Native American sovereignty mm-hmm. and of like these existential constitutional questions. And I just remember I had like this simple epiphany, which I imagine you know someone like Lillian has all the time, or any Supreme Court reporter has, where you're like, oh my God, this tiny little story of these tiny people suddenly becomes massively important to all of us. It's like the thing that you want out of every story. You want some 
tiny particular thing to to encompass everything sort of like Whitman's you know universe in a blade of grass it's like that and I, I just had this moment where I was like oh my god this is we just have to do more of this and so that thought was sort of knocking around for a while and then just some things came together last year and uh, I was able to you know uh, get together a team of really talented people and suddenly more perfect came into the world and the idea was just to do th- to look at, you know, Supreme Court stories that are happening now, that are happening in the past, and that ask these really big questions, and to meet the people at the center of the cases, to really sort of understand the history at the center of the cases, the politics, the cultural ideas, and and then to just to tell really surprising radio lab stories about them. And it is amazing how uh, it seems like focusing on some seemingly innocuous story on the micro level ends up blossoming into this an unbelievable story that that uh, often involves international elements and in politics uh, and all of these other things, which is something I think that's that's so fascinating about uh, the approach that that both of your projects uh, take. And uh, obviously, we're we're talking about podcasts, and we're talking about production quality and production elements. So I want to give listeners uh, certainly a sample of what the podcast sounds like. Um, I think we're going to take a, a quick break, and then when we come back. Uh, we will uh, set up a, a clip of, of your new project, More Perfect, and, and you can give listeners a, a sense of what that's like. Uh, right now you're listening to, to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500 AM, and we'll continue our discussion right after this break. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Ben Carnes, on uh, Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. And we're joined by Jad Abumrad of Radio Lab and his new project, More Perfect, as well as Lillian Cunningham of The Washington Post, who's working on uh, a new podcast project as well. Uh, Jad, we were talking about uh, Radio Lab uh, before the break, and uh, you've now spun off on, uh, onto a new project, More Perfect, which focuses on Supreme Court cases. And I know that we have uh, have a couple of clips here. The first episode had received quite a bit of, uh, of critical acclaim. And uh, I don't know if you're, you're oriented uh, to the clip, but if uh, I guess we could give listeners context uh, of More Perfect and of the clip that they're about to hear. Uh, this will, will hopefully give sort of some little uh, teaser of what they can expect if they, uh, they get into the show. Sure. So, uh, you know, More Perfect is a series of stories about the Supreme Court and about the sort of people and the ideas that land in front of the court. And this comes from our first season. This is a, uh, a story... Uh, uh, that it was reported by uh, reporter Karen Duffin, and uh, maybe I'll just sort of bury the lead a little bit and just tell you that the person that you're going to hear is uh, her name's Maya Foa. She's a director of an organization called Reprieve, which is a human rights organization in the UK that does anti-death penalty work. This was 2010. I was sat in the office and I... She's sitting there one night and Clive Stafford Smith, who's the president of Reprieve or the head of Reprieve, calls and says, look, we've got an execution tonight. There's an execution in Arizona tonight. Jeffrey Landrigan is set to be put to death for killing Chester Dreyer. Landrigan was found guilty of strangling and stabbing the man in 1989. So Clive says there's an execution tonight and we just found out that the lethal injection drugs that they're going to use... They came from a pharmacy in England. 
But we don't know which pharmacy because Arizona refuses to release the name. Does anyone in the office have some time, a volunteer, have some time to figure out where those drugs could have come from? And she raises her hand and she's like, I have 30 minutes, you know. And I said, yeah, sure, I've got, you know, I've got half an hour. You know, I didn't know what I was starting when I started it. So wait, why do they want to find this supplier? Like, why does that help them? Well, the drugs that they want to use in Arizona have to be FDA approved. So if they can find who made these drugs and prove that they are not FDA approved, then they can probably stop the execution. Did they have any reason to think the drugs weren't FDA approved? It was kind of a Hail Mary. Ah. So I started the half hour research task that has taken me now five and a half years. And I was trying to figure out with limited information where sodium thiopental could have come from in the UK to get to the US. Sodium thiopental is an anesthetic, and for a long time it was one of the most common anesthetics used in surgeries. But it's also one of the drugs used in lethal injection. I was sort of... I didn't... I don't think I knew the purpose of all the research that I was doing, but I was doing it very quickly. Because, of course, they had an execution that night. Landrigan is running out of time and options. And it was, I was in the UK, so it was the evening. Which is morning Arizona time. So we had just a number of hours. She's, like, frantically searching through all these, like, global medical regulations. And, you know, she can't figure out exactly what the name of the company is. Because there was no way to know at that point. But ultimately, she does figure out that there are no UK companies authorized to ship this drug to the U.S. There was no, effectively, no FDA-approved supplier of the stuff. So whatever this mystery pharmacy was, it probably wasn't FDA-approved. And I remember, you know, I emailed that over. I think we either turned it into an affidavit from me or from Clive. They write up a quick affidavit. They send it back to the States. And the execution that night was stayed. Like halted. When I went to sleep, it had been stayed. And I just thought, OK, great. You know, we've got a bit of time. And the next morning, I woke up. I was couch surfing. I was in someone's. And I turned on World Service. And uh, they announced that Jeffrey Landrigan was executed at 22, 26 hours. Um, yeah. His final meal was a piece of steak. His last words were, well, I'd like to say thank you to my family and Boomer Sooner. It turned out while Maya was asleep. The state appealed all the way to the Supreme Court, and late yesterday, the justices, by a 5-4 to four vote, lifted the stay of execution, allowing Landrigan to be put to death yeah, last night. The stay was, was put in place due to concern over lethal injection drugs. One of those drugs obtained from Britain was not FDA-approved, but the U.S. Supreme Court did rule that there was no reason to believe that the drug wasn't safe. So you know, I talk about a rude awakening in uh, the literal sense. Now, that rude awakening would uh, send Maya on a journey around the world. It would get her called out by the United States Supreme Court. And it would spark a global conversation about the American death penalty and about those little words, cruel and unusual, that are embedded in our Eighth Amendment. The Honorable, the Chief Justice, and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. And that is a clip from the uh, first episode of the first season of More Perfect, and we're joined uh, by the mind behind that project, uh, Jad Abumrad. And as you mentioned previously, that's a story that ends up spinning into um, the tale of international intrigue to to some extent and ends up having uh, tentacles that reach, I think, a lot further than you might uh, guess uh, just just from the the, uh, description of the clip. 
um, you guys are you're, you're about to start your, your second season now, and, and hopefully we can also get uh, toward the end of the show to a clip from the series premiere of season two. Uh, do, do you have a settled length in mind? It's being advertised as a, as a spinoff. Does More Perfect have a settled length, or are you going to just stick with it until you feel you've exhausted uh, all the stories you can tell there? Yeah, I think we'll stick with it. You know, I mean, we're not sort of at this moment, we're not asking ourselves too too many sort of future questions. We're just so interested in the, I mean, as you can tell, uh, and the world has gone crazy. And mm-hmm. um, and uh, the, story, the, the, the cases that are landing in front of the court are so just infinitely more rich and interesting and troubling and confusing uh, than they even were last season. So uh, at the moment, we're just so in it that uh we're sort of deferring all future questions but yeah i think we're gonna i think if i had to guess we're gonna stick with it and just keep going and i can only imagine that uh you know i mean by definition a case that gets to the supreme court is a case that's um that we haven't as a country been able to figure out and Mm -hmm. so it feels to me like almost an infinite number of stories yet to be told there well for those who want to hear the the resolution of uh that clip uh, it's uh, again episode one of of more perfect and i want to turn uh to, to lillian cunningham who's uh, here with us uh, in studio again from the washington post um last time you were here uh you, you were promoting pr- your presidential podcast project and can you give listeners right. a, an idea of uh, of what that project entailed sure so um this was a project that ran for almost all of 2016 I started at the very beginning of January um, with episode one on George Washington. And over the course of 44 episodes mm-hmm. and 44 weeks, went through an exploration of the, the biography and the leadership style and the decision making um, of each of the American presidents. So it moved up in chronological order. And, you know, the math kind of worked out perfectly where there were. 44 weeks between the beginning of January and Election Day. So it concluded the last episode ran the day after the election um, with an episode about Trump. And uh, we kind of took listeners on this this journey (laughs) from the birth of the American presidency through today. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's been it's been fun to see, though, that it's listeners seem to even though the series has ended are going back to it, starting from the beginning, new people are listening, I think, because, you know, understanding the American presidency today and what's precedented and unprecedented about Mm -hmm. this moment has been um, as interesting today as it was last year to go through that exercise. And that's a pretty hellacious pace, an episode (laughs) a week, especially given the production that goes, you you mentioned you were also uh, like, uh, like Jad sort of operating as a, a one-man band from the beginning, right? I was, yeah. I was, um, it, it was a one-woman show, um, and I, it, it was happening in real time. So I put that first episode out on George Washington and knew next to nothing about John Adams <laughs> until I published the George Washington episode on a Sunday night and, you know, woke up Monday morning and cracked open a book on John Adams and <laughs> did it all again for the next week. That's exciting. So. That's, it sounds like it would be, be quite, quite <laughs> the exciting project to work on. Um, we wanted to give listeners uh, a little bit of a sense of uh, what, what presidential sounded like. Presidential, uh, I believe you mentioned it had to this point 14 or 15 million downloads. So it, had, it blew up and uh, yeah, became a huge it's success. Been, uh, it's, it's surprising um, how many people listen to it, but really wonderful. But um, the clip 
that I think the clip we're going to play is from the Nixon episode, which was probably about the time I came on this show last. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the clip, you'll hear Bob Woodward, the legendary Washington Post reporter who broke the Watergate story. Um, And he's describing the moment after Nixon has resigned and right before he's about to leave on a helicopter from the White House lawn. And uh, I think the clip, it's short, but I think it helps give a sense of how presidential wasn't just a history podcast. It really was kind of an exploration in, you know, these, it, it was a an attempt to create sort of a human portrait of each president yeah. and tease apart their psychology and uh, kind of the forces that drive these people in power. So, um, so this is a clip this from is pre- presidential. Yeah. yeah. The day he resigned, he said it. Uh, he called all of his aides and friends and family to the West Wing of the White House just before he left on the helicopter. A couple of hours before he actually left office through resignation. And he had his wife and daughters and son-in-laws there. And it was a rambling talk about the grievances he felt. Uh, His mother wasn't treated right. His father was poor. And then at one point he raised kind of with his hand indicated, this is why I called you all here. And then he said, always remember, others may hate you, but those who hate you don't win unless you hate them. And then you destroy yourself. It was the hate that was the poison that destroyed him and his presidency. And at that moment, to his credit, he understood it. And that was a clip from the presidential podcast. We're joined by the podcast's host and I guess also producer (laughs) um, Lillian Cunningham from the Washington Post. And so the success of that project, again, uh, an episode per week over the course of a year dedicated to each president, uh, found a, a huge audience. And you were then able, I guess at the time that you were making the podcast, you were still reporting for the Washington Post or, or editing or? Yes. So um, I had been at the Post for about five years um, before this and came up with, and I wasn't doing podcasting. I was doing mostly print reporting and editing Um, I came up with the idea for presidential and uh, pitched it to the powers that be and um, continued for a while still doing my print job as well. And as it found a big audience, I I kind of transitioned into working full time on on the podcast. And so now uh, on the heels of the success of of presidential, you've turned your attention to a similarly themed uh, podcast called Constitutional. And can you give us sort of a rundown of of what that is? Uh, with the focus of constitutional is sure. sort of there in the name. Yeah, well, so um, as I started nearing the end of presidential, uh, listeners started suggesting ideas for a second podcast that mm-hmm. I might do. And they had a ton of really great ideas, actually, that could keep me <laughs> keep me going with podcasts for the rest of my life. But um, one idea that came up a lot from listeners was the idea of exploring and explaining the Constitution. And um, it was an idea that st- 
stuck with me and intrigued me every time I, I heard it suggested from listeners because I had just spent this year studying the presidency and thinking about, you know, what makes a president great in our eyes and what makes one ineffective. And I found over the course of that that, you know, a lot of it kept coming back to the Constitution and these lofty ideals that were set forth in the preamble about establish, you know, a more perfect union mm -hmm. yeah. and um, ensuring the blessings of liberty, establishing justice. And so it seemed that the presidents that we kind of have found over our history to be the great ones are the ones who were really able to um, embody those principles and move us toward that more perfect union. So I was personally intrigued by the idea of going back and then studying the Constitution itself um, and this value set that we had created. And so, um, you know, the idea was born out of listeners. And then I decided the project to me would be more interesting and valuable if we didn't take quite the same format as presidential and kind of you know, one idea was to tick through the Constitution section by section, right, article right. by article, amendment by amendment. Um, but I thought that the more interesting inquiry was to take sort of a more fluid approach based off of the preamble and looking at these values. So um, that's how this podcast was born. Um, and and we are going to, uh, to listen to a clip from uh, Lillian's new project, Constitutional, uh, right after this break, so that listeners can, can get an idea of what that sounds like. We're we're with Jed Abumrad and Lillian Cunningham, uh, and this is Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm your host, Ben Carnes, and uh, I'm joined by phone by uh, Jad Abumrad and uh, in studio here by Lillian Cunningham of The Washington Post. And we're talking about Lillian's new project, uh, Constitutional, which is following on the heels of the success of Presidential. Uh, and we have a clip of uh, Constitutional, and uh, and you mentioned that you're, you're focusing primarily on uh, one, one portion of the Constitution rather than trying to to tease out the the details of, of every section. Can you can you set up uh, this particular clip and w which episode this comes from? Sure. Yeah. So um, this clip is, I think, a, an example of how the approach I've taken to looking at the Constitution really focuses on the stories of people who've shaped it in some way. And so this is from the second episode, which was um, exploring the evolution of Native American rights under the U.S. Con uh, 
constitution. Um, and so the backdrop here, sort of where you'll pick up in the clip, is that it's 1878. You know, Native Americans are being kicked off a lot of their tribal lands across the country. Um, and there's this one Ponca chief, Standing Bear, whose tribe is relocated to Oklahoma from their their homeland in Nebraska. And Standing Bear's son ends up dying of malaria in the government-run reservation where they're forced to move. And so the son makes his father promise right before he dies that the father will take his body back to their sacred burial ground. So Standing Bear um, sets off in the winter with some of his tribe to leave the reservation with the boy's body and, and go bury it back home. And that's where the clip picks up, I think. It's the second day of January, and a fierce blizzard is swirling across the flat earth. The day they leave, the temperature is 16 below zero. The third day out, the estimated wind chill is more than 40 below zero. And so here's those 30 people traveling to Nebraska 600 miles in the winter in moccasins and, and bare feet. They say they, they could see the tracks of blood in the snow from when they were walking. And it's in this manner that they go one week, one month, three months, four months, until they get within two days of their beloved homeland. And then there, so close to their journey's end, severely frostbitten, starved, something happens. They're arrested by the United States Cavalry for having left the confines of the reservation. And this arrest sets off a chain of events, a chain of events that eventually leads to Standing Bear being the first Native American in the entire United States to get a trial and the chance to argue for his rights. He was able to bring the entire government of the United States to its knees without ever firing a shot from his Winchester, without ever plucking an arrow from his quiver, without ever unsheathing his hunting knife. And he was able to do this, of all things, for the first time in American history, on the third floor of a courtroom in Omaha, Nebraska. It's in that third floor courtroom in Omaha that a question is set before the judge, Judge Elmer Dundee, a question that the constitutional framers a century before somehow left unclear. And the question is, does the United States government consider Indians human beings? And that is a clip from the Constitutional Podcast, and we're joined by that project's host, Lillian Cunningham of the Washington Post, as sort of a repetition of that same theme of, of zooming in on these vignettes from history and then, then having them uh, you know, blossom into these uh, amazing stories. Uh, and where is Constitutional right now? Where does it stand? Are you still uh, in the throes of, of recording it, uh, recording new episodes? And... We are. Yeah, we're six episodes in. Um, so uh, just shy of halfway through our season. Okay. And... Um, I, I guess what is what has been the experience now coming off the, the heels of a very successful podcast? Has that informed the way that you're you're doing this new project? Have you, you know, what what have you learned from the from the success of the first project? How are you approaching it differently? I guess the subject matter is a little bit different, so maybe it requires a a different tact in, in approaching it. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I would say I think what they both share in common is that both podcasts are they're sort of quests to better understand our country and, you know, why the society that we live in today looks the way it does. And I think both podcasts also, you know, as I sort of mentioned before, they both have at their focus people and the way that people have shaped the story of America and, you know, also sort of this exercise of making these people, these figures three-dimensional who either have been left out of our history books or they've been idolized maybe mm. a bit too much sure. in history yeah. books or flattened in our history books. Um, so I think both share that same impulse, but the structure is a bit different. Um, you know, presidential was very structured and... You know, someone, uh, a listener would know at the beginning of January what episode they could expect would come out the first week of October because it was so prescribed by, you know, the chronological right, structure. Right. Um, for constitutional, I think there's an element of surprise that wasn't there for presidential because we haven't we haven't announced what future episodes will be. So mm. every time a new episode comes out, there's, you know, there's some serendipity to what story we've chosen to focus on. Um, I also, you know, did presidential by myself last year and this year I have a producer working with me. And so that's let us get a lot more. It's given, I think what it's given is the time to be more creative in terms of sound design and painting sort of richer scenes um, that like I didn't quite have the capacity last year to do as much of myself. Yeah, some of the ability, I guess, to take creative liberties rather than being confined to that that once a week uh, pace of of uh, churning out episodes. Um, I, I want to bring Jad Abumrad uh, back in. Uh, I know that uh, more perfect. Your new project is slated to begin its second season soon. Correct? Yeah, uh, October second. And I, I think we we also have a, a clip from uh, the I believe it's the introductory episode. Um, of season two. Uh, are, is season two already sort of recorded in full or are you guys recording that as you go? Uh, or is there, is there already sort of a, a slate of episodes? Well, we're sort of, a, yeah, we have, I think, uh, somewhere close to 15 episodes lined up and uh, we're sort of in headless chicken mode right now sure. just trying to get it all done. But everything's been recorded. Uh, I would say 97% recorded and we're just actually trying to build them and make them pretty at this point. And can you uh, can you set up this clip for us? It was very uh, striking sort of audio clip. Can you give some of the the story behind it? It might not be uh, self explanatory. Sure. Is this the Korematsu clip? That it is. Playing? Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. So this is our, the first episode of our second season, and uh, it's going to land a couple of days before the Supreme Court uh, uh, tackles the uh, the travel ban, and so the that that this current case got us thinking about. Um, a much earlier case that uh, where uh, a man named Fred Korematsu, this is sort of in the in the wake of Pearl Harbor, uh, Roosevelt issued uh, an order to round up Japanese on the West Coast and put them into uh, uh, I forget the exact word, but essentially detention camps. Mm -hmm. And uh, one man one man defied those orders and then challenged those orders and took it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And it's a very it's a this story is sort of a really interesting character study of that guy. Uh, this is a sort of a, the third son of a traditional Japanese family who he's a guy who played football, said the Pledge of Allegiance every morning, felt very American. 
Uh, and it's an interesting portrait of a person who is caught, is caught between cultures sort of tossed on the winds of fate by the politics of the moment. And I, I think he, in many ways, could be a stand-in for so many people right now who are watching very closely to see what will the Supreme Court do. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is his story. And uh, I don't know where in the story this clip will fall, but that he he will be, I believe, the voice you hear, or it, it could be, perhaps be Lori Benai, who's a uh, researcher telling his story. And this is a clip, uh, episode one, season two of More Perfect. Over time, the community kind of tried to build lives for themselves. You hear stories and see pictures of people building small Japanese gardens out of what they found in the area. You saw newsreels about the people who made the desert bloom. We eventually saw people forming, you know, baseball teams. That is a clip from the upcoming first episode of season two of More Perfect, uh, which will be publicly available at early October. Um, and there, there's obviously a, a theme uh, amongst both of your podcasts of just this incredible uh, audio production quality that I think you can hear um, even even just through uh, these short clips. And I wanted to ask, and, and I guess just, just sort of open it up, I'm, I'm partially curious just because I have a, a bit of a, an audio production background, just the number of uh, a man hours and, and resources that are going in. You know, uh, Lillian, you talked about a, a an episode a week pace. Um, what does it actually look like uh, sort of for both of you trying to, to put something together at that level of, you know, every single individual clip, making sure it's, it's perfect? Uh, what, what does that process actually look like? Um. Uh, Lily, do you want to start? I mean, I, I'm happy to jump in. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's it, it's hard to sort of it's hard to generalize, man, because because there are for me the bigger the bigger determining factor about how hard a story is is whether it's a story that's been told and that you can go into the past and access it in the sense it's it's transpired and perhaps there's another reporter somewhere in time who's helped digest that story for you versus a story that is just sort of laid out, present tense, unfolding in front of your eyes, and you as a reporter don't know where it's going to go, and you you just have to follow it. So in the, in the, in the first case, when we're trying to reconstruct past events, um, I don't want to say those stories are easier, but uh, the sh- they're, 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 you, it's easier to figure out a handle on how, like, what's the beginning, what's the middle, and what's the end. And then also just like, where do we stand in relationship to it now? What's the meaning that we want to draw from those stories? Which is, after all, the reason I think we both tell stories is because they they speak to us about this country and about where we are. Um, When you're in a situation where the story is unfolding, that can sometimes, you can, it, it, it can literally feel like you're groping through the dark. So for me, that's the bigger determining factor versus the production. On the production side, you know, I mean, we spend... 
I would say if you if you took all the sort of man hours and slammed them together, a couple of weeks solid just uh, working on how it feels and the narration and all the various layers just to make it feel like a movie, mm-hmm. you know, just to give it that sense of cinematic sweep. Because they really, it really should feel like a movie. I mean, like, you know, there's a way in which history gets often told as this, like, stodgy thing at a distance. But really, as when you imagine the people and the players who are in that history, they didn't know how it was going to turn out. That When events happened for them, it was surprising, it was unexpected, and it should feel like that to the listeners, even though they know where it's going. And the the clip I think we just played is a perfect example. The the you know, Japanese internment camps. It's so easy to forget that we're a few decades removed from our country have, having done that. I, I had a, a, a colleague a couple of years back who was Japanese American, and his grandfather had lost his entire fleet of, uh, of fishing boats as a result of that. And so it's easy to forget that these are actual things that happen to actual people that we may be encountering in our uh, our actual lives. So I think that's one of the most impressive aspects of, uh, of all of the projects that uh, that you guys have worked on. And uh, I think we're going to have to take uh, one last break here. And then when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more with, uh, with Lillian Cunningham and Jad Abumrad about their latest projects. Uh, this is Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Uh, this is our last segment, and we are talking to uh, Jad Abumrad of Radiolab and More Perfect from WNYC, and Lillian Cunningham of the Presidential and Constitutional Podcasts uh, from the Washington Post. And uh, just before the break, uh, Jad was talking a little bit about uh, some of the, the man hours and the process that goes into recording projects of, uh, of such a high caliber, which uh, I think both of your projects obviously uh, deserve that uh, that description and um, you're both taking a very dense subject matter uh, whether it be law science um, the Constitution the Supreme Court docket and you're personalizing it and condensing it into a package that is supposed to be you know very pleasant to listen to which is not an easy task Lily and I'm curious um, you know what that has has been like for you and I know you guys have uh, have even seen it now uh, applied in classroom settings, and it, it's found um, as a result of, I guess, your success in, in being able to package those things. Um, it, it's found from quite an audience. Yeah, well, I think that has been, um, and you know, Jad spoke to this really eloquently. But um, you know, finding a way to to bring these stories to life, I think, is what has helped. Um, you know, as you mentioned, even in classrooms, that have a podcast like presidential find an audience um, because we have, you know, taken the care to sort of zoom in on um, the, just the very intimate stories, um, the sort of quieter stories that, that draw people into a subject, even if they think that it's a a person they're familiar with like Lincoln or FDR. Um, But 
I also think, you know, I think a lot about how I had a teacher in high school who <laughs> wrote at the end of one of my history papers just the question, so what? <laughs> and I, um, you know, I went to talk to him afterward and, and it's stuck with me ever since then that, you know, even when you zoom in and, and tell a very compelling or emotional, powerful story, there is always that responsibility too, as Jad said, to um, help people understand why it's important, why it's relevant, why why zooming in and telling this this beautiful or devastating story means something um, bigger and broader. And, and I think part of, in terms of process for me, you know, a big part of the kind of invisible work of that is also finding really great guests, especially when you have a subject like the Constitution, mm -hmm. where um, in some cases the, the first person who springs to mind to talk to might be a constitutional law expert right, and right. you know having to always remember that you need to find people who understand how to tell stories and to lend the detail and to um, speak in a way that isn't you know full of legal jargon and um, so there's often a lot of time in the process that just goes into identifying who those people are who not only have the expertise but um, who have kind of a way with words that will help bring the story alive for listeners. And, and obviously you've uh, had, had great success in doing that. Uh, you, I, I'm curious with the, the podcasting world, I, I know I certainly encounter people on a regular basis for whom podcasting is still a little bit alien, you know, even if it's just, well, how do I get the episodes on my phone and, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, I think it's certainly obviously a lot more, more uh, well known at this point than maybe it was a few years ago. But uh, I often see it set up against sort of these so-called traditional means of whether it be broadcast or, or print. Uh, and I'm curious, Jad, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, I, I've worked on a, a couple of small podcast projects and it, it's always difficult, especially, you know, when you don't have NYC, uh, WNYC or the Washington Post. I know a lot of people out there are uh, recording podcasts in their, in their basements and living rooms. And how do you... Uh, I guess, deal with the fact that on, on radio, I guess it's sort of a, a one and done thing. You can know roughly how many stations you're on and how many listeners you have. And it's kind of in the moment. Whereas with podcasts, you're spending a lot of hours to put them together. And um, the listeners can, I guess, trickle in slowly. I assume you you still have plenty of listeners going back and listening to season one of Radio Lab or of, of More Perfect, which was now recorded you know, quite a while ago. So how do you uh, how do you deal with that going into it, knowing that it's it's such a slow process and it's going to be this this gradual trickle of listeners compared to uh, you know print broadcasting or, or sorry print journalism and and traditional broadcasting? I mean that's a really good question. I, uh, I I you know the short answer is I don't know. I mean the uh, the thing about podcasting that's exciting and also sort of daunting is that um, like just to put it in context, when I started in this business back in the stone age you know in 99 2000 uh there was no such thing as podcasting and the only kind of places you could hear these audio stories was on public radio mm -hmm. and getting into a public radio station was just like uh like a, a byzantine strange like who you know you just had to basically just hope that someone noticed you and let you in the door so the barrier for entry was very high um 
now fast forward we're in a situation with podcasting where as you as you said in your question you can with a laptop and a and a fairly inexpensive usb mic you can make something and then you can put it on soundcloud and then upload that to itunes and then suddenly you're like there people can find you so the barriers are not there anymore and which is like so exciting at the same time though Without the stations and you know organizations like NYC or the Washington Post, it's very very hard to to take that initial leap to get in front of people. Um, you know, I would say a few years ago, the thing that I saw happen a lot was, um, you know, the the network of people who did this was pretty small still, and so we would all share stuff. And if if somebody that you know was making a new podcast and it was really cool, you would feature it on your thing, and they would feature it on their thing. And so, you know, we, we all helped each other sort of like um, boost word of mouth. But right now, I think the last, the last number I heard was that there's something like 400,000 podcasts. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and, and that's literally, I'd say, like most of that has happened in the last few years. And in that kind of explosion, I don't know how you find an audience. Um, although I do know that if you are patient, and, I, and I'm so impressed that uh, Lillian, you would... Uh, have the sort of discipline and patience to do 44 podcasts week to week to week to week. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. If you're at, if you're that patient and you're committed to what you're doing, um, I think more often than not, you will find uh, an audience. It may be a small audience at first, and then it kind of grows slowly, and it spreads. Um, and you know, and I certainly know that like the 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 shops that are popping up that do podcasting only are always looking for those people. So. Uh, it does take a certain level of commitment and patience and a willingness to put things out and not get that feedback right away. Um, that is, I think, just the state of things right now. Um, but if you if you can wade through that, it's such an exciting space. It, it does seem a bit like uh, quality sort of eventually rises to the top if, if you have the patience. Um, my, my layman sort of uh, is certainly not on, on any level comparable to you guys, but my, my layman exposure to podcasting, I entered a couple of uh, competitions here and there. I think the last one I entered, they, they uh, came back to me and it was just one network and they said that they had received you know, a thousand applications of people who had taken the time to record clips and, and put together you know these long written descriptions, which I think to me, to me spoke to just how many people now are, are involved in the podcasting world for just this one network to have that sort of um, flood of, of uh, applicants. And I think we've got about Four minutes left here, and uh, I wanted to just, just partly out of curiosity, um, you don't have to spend too long on it, but given that you guys are recording at such a high level, uh, and these are sort of gold standard type podcasts that, that people would aspire to as far as the, the actual end quality, uh, I'm curious if there are things that you, you personally enjoy listening to. I know Lillian, we had talked about it a little bit, and just the, the limitation of time when you, when you are recording 44 episodes. Uh, in a year. Um, but I'm wondering what you look at in the podcasting world as emblematic of the sort of quality that, that you know, you're, you're aspiring to and, and meeting, but what else out there is there that's, that's kind of worth listening to that you find interesting? Um, well, one thing I'd offer that I, uh, I haven't uh, made my way through yet, but I'm in the process of that, uh, you know, you'll see the overlap is very strong with what I did, but um Public Radio International um, just recently launched a mini series called LBJ's War, and of course, having you know just done presidential, it is particularly interesting to me to see the way that they have just 
you know, been digging through all this archival tape at the Lyndon Johnson Library, a lot of which hasn't ever really been listened to before. And I guess I have a great um, appreciation listening to it for the work that went into it. Since in a lot of these cases, I, I was doing sort of a smaller thing week to week with presidential um in terms of going to the Library of Congress and some of these presidential libraries to get tape. And uh, anyway, so to me, that's a an interesting podcast to listen to right now, just for the way that it's um, sort of as, you know, we've been talking about all all hour, um, kind of recreate uh, these, these historical um, moments and scenes. And in this case, really by using a lot of original footage, that's um, that's been fun to listen to for me. Great. And, uh, and Jad, I think we have a, just under a minute left. I, I hate that. But uh, is there anything out there that, that you find uh, especially compelling you know, from, from an audio standpoint or, or a content standpoint? That... Sure, sure. I mean, I, you know, this, uh, a show that, we, that we're doing here at WNYC uh, called Nancy, which is about sort of LGBTQ issues. I find that to be a really cool uh, podcast just in the way it's produced and in what's being talked about. Um, I also recently uh, was on a road trip with my family, and uh, the kids were driving us nuts. And so we we put on this podcast called "The Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel," which is a a ten episode radio drama for kids ages eight to twelve that I think is being produced out of Panoply, and it's spectacular. It's so good. Uh, it's like it, it reminded me of like old Orson Welles. Uh, theater of the mind kind of stuff, mm-hmm. except super modern and for kids, which I just didn't even know that existed. So uh, I would recommend that for sure. Those are, those are definitely exciting projects uh, for people to check out. And I want to give one last plug to uh, the the podcast that you guys are here to promote, uh, Lillian Cunningham, the uh, constitutional podcast with the Washington Post and uh, Jad Abumrad, uh, now working on More Perfect in addition to uh, Radiolab. And uh, that's all the time we have, unfortunately. Thank you both for joining us so much. And uh, Fed Talk is brought to you by the federal employment law firm Shaw, Bransford & Roth. And uh, thank you for joining us today. And have a great weekend.